Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Steam Forward Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Savannah, and today our guest is Corey Callahan. And a little background about Corey is he is a professor at the University of Florida. He helps with the research department, and he has a specific hobby in birding. So we're going to learn more about all these things. So please help me welcome Corey. Hello. Thank you, Savannah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. How are you doing today? I'm good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's not as hot today, so that's very enjoyable as well. Last time I was here, we were sweltering in the garden. With so Sweating yeah, it out. Yeah. So, Corey, give us some background. So, I know you didn't grow up in Florida, so give us some childhood background. Who are you? Where did you come from? Yeah, absolutely. So, I grew up um, on a small kind of farm outside of Buffalo, New York, in okay. western New York. Yeah. Um, that was a few years ago now. And uh, and then I did my, you know, in high school, I we had a small high school. I graduated with, uh, you know, 100 kids or so. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, real small. Yeah, so it was small country country living. And uh, and then I went to college at Canisius College, mm-hmm. which was when I was, when I was um, I don't, you know, 18 or whatever. I remember thinking to myself, like, everybody's talking about, well, not everybody. Some people are talking about going to college. I remember thinking to myself, like, well, I can't be more than an hour away from my mommy. And so, you know, I, I drew a circle on the map and I said, well, Canisius College, that's 45 minutes away. I can come home on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And that's where I ended up going. So I have a question. So how does farming work in a place like Buffalo, New York? Because for me, I, I've always lived in tropical, warm places. So I understand farming. So how? So what kind of crops did your family grow? And like, how did it work so with we the had, snow? We had cattle. Uh, and got it. More livestock. Um, but corn, there's a lot of corn yeah. crops nearby, a lot of hay. Yeah. Um, yeah. In that, and and it, yeah, it's a seasonal with the crops. It's obviously quite seasonal because right. you have, you know, four distinct seasons. And right. I miss the cold sometimes <laughs> now that I live here in yeah. Florida. But. Yeah. And so you've only lived here because we were briefly talking. You've only lived in South Florida for one year. So tell us about the cool places that you've been before here. Yeah. So af- after I did my undergraduate, you know, I, I couldn't move too far away from home. I ended up coming to South Florida mm-hmm. then. And I did a master's degree at Florida Atlantic University here in South Florida. And I studied a bird called the gray-headed swamp hen. Yeah. And that was what my master's degree was on. And after that, I ended up moving to Australia to do a PhD. And I did my PhD in Australia. Uh, after that, I moved to Germany and I lived in Germany for a couple of years. I don't speak any German. <laughs> and um, and then my wife and I and our three-year-old, we moved here about a year ago, back, back to South Florida. That's awesome. So is Australia as scary as the people make it? No, it's not scary at all. <laughs> amazing wildlife. So many parrots. Um, yeah. Absolutely amazing wildlife. Yeah. It's so funny, all the fear mongering that people do with Australia, the, like the spiders, the um, the oceans. And I'm like, is it really that scary? I mean, you know, there are a lot of, uh, yeah, organisms out there that yeah. you have to be weary of, but absolutely not scary. It's, it's an amazing place. And I was very fortunate to be able to live there for a while and travel and see a lot of birds. Yeah. That's really awesome. And so tell me about birding. Why is it so important to you? Why do you love it so much? Yeah. So, so I grew, like I grew up in the country, like I said, and, mm-hmm. you know, at that point I, I knew all the backyard birds. I remember we had a bird feeder and I remember mom had like a field guide. And so I was able to, to learn some of the backyard birds. And that's about, I don't know, 15, 20 species mm-hmm. that are common. And when I went to my undergraduate degree, I, I learned that birding is a thing. I didn't know that this was a thing. But there's people that go out there and they try to see as many birds as they possibly can. And now that's what I do all yeah. the time. Um, yeah. yeah. And so 
So what can birding teach people about the environment or about ecosystems? Yeah, so the thing about birds is that they're easy to see compared to, I don't know, beetles. Right. They're large, they're mostly diurnal, and so you're able to go out and kind of see them anywhere. Even here in urban South Florida, even in parking lots, you know, there's birds to see. And so I think that's one thing that to me is really um, important to keep in mind that birds are everywhere and they're a conduit for people to kind of learn about the natural world. Right. Absolutely. And so I said that you're a professor at the University of Florida. So how did we get there? Um, yeah. So University of Florida is based in Gainesville. Right. Right. That's like the the big institution. Mm-hmm. But there's these what's called the research centers mm-hmm. kind of throughout the state. And so I work at one of those research centers that's in Fort Lauderdale. So it took me about 30 minutes to you know yeah. get here from there. And um, yeah. So how, how did we get there? You know, I applied for jobs and got a job there. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I work in the Wildlife Ecology Conservation Department. Mm-hmm. And I study a multitude of things. But w- one of the things I study is urban ecology. Right. So I try to understand how birds and other organisms kind of survive in urban ecosystems. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I see you have the hat eye naturalist. Okay. And we're and we were briefly speaking about citizen science and why you love it and why you think it's so important. So just give us um some of the work that you've done with citizen science and why people should be more involved. Yeah, okay. So then can I back up a little yeah. bit though first? Yeah. So so birding, right? This led me to citizen science. Right. Okay. So there's this program called eBird. Mm-hmm. It's a global citizen science app launched by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Mm-hmm. And right now they have over a billion observations. And what it does is it caters to birders because right. it, it's a platform to kind of keep track of all the birds that you see, which is what birders really like and what they want. And so I started using eBird before I even knew what research was. Right. Okay. So I was just contributing the data, didn't really think anything of it because for me, it was like, oh, now I know how many times I've seen Mockingbird. Right. And I knew all these things for my own personal benefit. But fast forward, you know, five years later, I go to do a PhD. I realize that, well, I'm not the only birder out there, right? There's, <laughs> yeah. there's hundreds of thousands of birders. And so I realized that there's actually a lot of data mm-hmm. that's contributed by all these birders. And so I started using this eBird data and the citizen science data to understand those questions about urban ecology. Mm-hmm. So the one of the things that people talk a lot about with, with these, these types of data is that they're really biased, right. meaning there's a lot more observations in urban areas, mm-hmm. right? Because that's where people live. Instead of say the middle of the Everglades, right? It's, it's hard to get out there. You have to yeah, yeah, yeah. long hike, canoe, kayak, airboats, yeah. whatever, right? Yeah. But it's really easy to go down to Amelia Earhart Park mm-hmm. and walk around or and whatever. So there's a lot more data from these types of places. And so I took that as a kind of, I don't know, motivation to mm-hmm. say, well, actually we should know more about the birds that are in our you know, colloquial backyards yeah. mm-hmm. than anywhere else. And so that was kind of what launched me on my research career yeah. to use citizen science data. And so you said that you use citizens. I think you worded it like we like to see how people contribute to citizen science. Yeah. So so that was me. Right. That's, yeah. that's, that's me. And now fast forward, I'm a researcher and, and I, I kind of study the field of citizen science a little bit more. And mm-hmm. so I try to understand, well, there's all these biases. A, can we make them better? Right. And B, how can we use the data to understand ecological questions? Like mm-hmm. understand how birds are doing in response to climate change right. or these types of questions. 
And but inherent in that is trying to understand why people contribute to citizen science, right. which I think is what you asked. Yeah. And one of the main reasons that people contribute that the literature shows is that people actually really want to contribute to conservation. Yeah. Right. That's one of the that's one of the top reasons that time and time time and time again comes out as being a really important motivating factor. Right. So with all the places that you, that you've been through, uh, Buffalo, New York, South Florida, uh, Germany, Australia, um, which um, place has the most diversity of birds? Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, I mean, it depends. Yeah. Uh, you know, Australia is pretty good. Right. But South Florida is a really fantastic place for birds. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my colleagues in Gainesville, I kind of, uh, you know, sometimes we joke because the birding down here is a lot better. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. year round, you get lots and lots of birds. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, South Florida is yeah. one of the reasons I really like my job is because I get to live in South Florida mm -hmm. when the birding is absolutely fantastic. Right. And so you said you studied the ur the urbanization mm -hmm. aspect of it. But mm -hmm. have you gotten out in like the country areas or the more rural areas to study birds? Uh, not so much studying, mm -hmm. but for my own personal bird right. watching. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of my favorite places are up in the Ever Everglades Agricultural Area yeah. in the late summer. There's some amazing birds that are seen there and lots and lots of shorebirds. That's awesome. Um, but for my studying, you know, my professional, mm -hmm. I really focus on urban green spaces and how to make those urban green spaces better for biodiversity. Love that. Being a part of the University of Florida mm -hmm. and you're helping contribute to research, is there anything besides birding that you help contribute to? Yeah, a lot, a lot more. So, yeah. you know, that's what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was talking about with the citizen science. So, I, you know, you know, it's it's much broader than birding. Birding is a hobby, I would say, mm -hmm. that I get to study as well yeah. a little bit. But um, for from a research perspective, I really try to focus on those urban questions. Mm -hmm. and, and like I said, how to make how to make urban green spaces better for biodiversity. Yeah. And how to find kind of the sweet spot, because imagine an urban green space, you, you know, there's a lot of human needs that are need to be yeah. had there as well. Right. This is where people go to have barbecues on the weekends, where people go to um, relax and read a book and and just get some in access to nature. Yeah. And so you have to balance the biodiversity needs and the human needs within these urban green spaces. So this is some of my research as well. So with trying to figure out the best solution for these urban green spaces. Do you get pushback or like people are not really on board with you and some of the research that you do? No, not necessarily. That's um, Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I don't work with urban planners so much. It's mm -hmm. a little bit more removed from that, right. thinking about um, small things. But and also a lot of what I try to think about are, are small, what I consider you know, small changes for marginal for yeah. for marginal changes for maximizing benefits. Yeah. Um, so planting native trees. Yeah. Right. And trying to use native landscaping that can have a really good impact on, you know, our local wildlife, our native local wildlife. But it's, you know, and it might be a little bit more expensive potentially, but, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's trying to think about how to have those small changes that yeah. can have you know, good benefits for biodiversity. And can you, uh, I don't know people watching all live here, but uh, green spaces in the urban areas are far and few in between. And so can you explain like why they're so important? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, green spaces are important for many reasons. Uh, um, you know, so there's a lot of research going on about mental well-being and, and physical well-being. And, and there's a lot of showing that just 
even just just kind of walking through a green space can have really good health benefits on, mm -hmm. on an individual's well-being. Yeah. Um, they're also really important for temperature regulation, right? So if you're near a green space, the temperature is going to be cooler. Really important as, you know, we ramp up in this climate change mm -hmm. and thinking about the sustainable urban cities, you know, in the future. Um, at the same time, there's a lot of research for, and this is more my focus, but mm -hmm. the research, the importance of urban green spaces for biodiversity. Yeah. Um, migrating birds that migrate through in the spring and the fall, they need these little pockets of kind of rich resources to stop. It's called stopover. Mm -hmm. They stop over, you know, rest for two, three days and they forage and they get, you know, build up their fat reserves so they can continue migrating down to South America. Does that, does that answer your yeah, question? Yeah, 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 I get that. And so switching it back to birding a little bit. With your research in birding, have, have you learned anything about climate change in Florida and South Florida? Um, not specifically my research. Right. Um, you know, I think one of the things I focus on it, are those urban areas, mm -hmm. um, which species are going to be okay in urban areas. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of synergistic effects with right. climate change and urbanization. Um, and so urban heat island effect is a, you know, a thing that can can influence uh, that does influence um, wildlife responses in, in urban areas. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So so do you use iNaturalist with your birding? So so iNaturalist, which mm -hmm. you, you're, the viewers might yeah. already know oh, about. Some, yeah, some people do, some people might. Okay, yeah. so iNaturalist. So I, earlier I explained eBird. That's yeah. focused on birds. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's also a global app. iNaturalist is focused on any taxa and taking a photo, recording, documentation of any taxa, plants, animal, fungi, um, you know, you name it. And it doesn't even have to be alive. It can be a track yeah. of a, you know, a panther or something, yeah. something really cool. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what iNaturalist does. And so, yes, uh, to answer your question, I use a lot of iNaturalist mm -hmm. data as well. And I try to understand, again, why people use iNaturalist, how they use iNaturalist, um, how can we as kind of STEM people that are already in the STEM field, yeah. how can we use iNaturalist to get more people into that STEM field, right? Because I think it's a really cool tool. I don't know how many times even my own parents will send me a picture of a bird and it's like, what's this bird? And, <laughs> you know, and I, I answered it from the first, yeah. you know, 10 years. And now I just write back and be like, what did iNaturalist say? You yeah. know, I'm trying to outsource that yeah. that job a little bit. But um, and, you know, that's that's a personal example. But yeah. there's a lot of people that are curious about Absolutely. some of those organisms they see in their backyard. And this is an excellent resource to kind of get that education going right. And, you yeah. know, on a smartphone and free, completely yeah. free app as well. And the thing I think I love about it most is like it doesn't just give you like um, other observations, but it even gives you like background as to what you're studying, what you're learning, what did you take a picture of? And I think I love that piece the most. Yeah, I so I mean, like iNaturalist is cleverly linked to Wikipedia, Yeah, right? And so if you click on the organism that you see, mm -hmm. next thing you know, you're on the Wikipedia page. And yeah, I spend, you know, a bit, a bit of time on the Wikipedia <laughs> yeah. pages. And, you know, for me, I I, I, I really like um, rarity. Yeah. So I get super jazzed when I find that like dragonfly that's only been seen four or five times before. Like that's what I get, you know, yeah. that's what I get really excited about. So when comparing eBird and iNaturalist does bring your, I guess, specifically birding, does mm -hmm. the data vary or is it pretty similar or are more people seeing different things on iNaturalist compared to eBird? Yeah, so it does vary a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. um, a few years ago, I wrote a paper kind of asking this exact question. Right. You know, so again, eBird's birds, iNaturalist is all taxa, but mm -hmm. focusing on birds, 
what I found was that e um, there's a lot more larger birds mm -hmm. observed than I naturalist. Wow. Which makes a lot of sense because eBird is really geared towards birders, mm -hmm. right? Whereas iNaturalist is geared towards, you know, people like my parents that, you know, they're not, my parents are not birders. And my mom still has a hard time with northern cardinals and northern mockingbirds, bless her soul. <laughs> but, you know, and so because of that, there's this barrier. And so, you know, you end up getting a lot of photographs of larger birds and they're also easier to photograph. So we actually found this bias. And this is a really important example of what I do as a scientist yeah. trying to understand the dip. You asked that excellent question about the differences and how does that influence our understanding mm -hmm. of ecology of biodiversity? Right. And so do so do you think that there's ever a place that we can maybe like meet in the middle? Because I feel like as a researcher, doesn't it make your life a little harder when it's like this has all this and then this has this? Yes. <laughs> it, you know, this place kind of exists. Yeah. So this is probably too technical, but there's something called the Global Biodiversity Information Facility. Mm -hmm. And this is the, the kind of largest biodiversity data aggregator. So right. they kind of take all the data from all these different data sets. Because eBird and iNaturalist are just two. There's right. many, many, right. many citizen science right. projects out there that get really valuable data. And this it's kind of a clearinghouse mm -hmm. for all this data that ends up in one place that researchers like me can download and use and try to answer oh, questions. Awesome. And so it, it so it takes all these apps and then just puts them in one place for you. The the data. The data. The data right. from that people contribute. Yeah. Oh, wow. And also from museums yeah. and you know, it's kind of yeah, they have over two billion records, mm -hmm. you know, of of biodiversity mm -hmm. globally. It's it's really a fantastic resource that's awesome for researchers like me that like yeah they course. like big data and like understanding patterns okay. at large scales yeah because i can i can imagine the frustration of trying to compare to and you're like we're yeah. getting bigger than that. yeah and you know so we focused on birds but there's probably a similar bias in butterflies absolutely so you know it's a lot easier for people to get photos of giant swallowtails mm -hmm. than uh Cassius blues right here in South Florida okay. because the blues are difficult and small and they fly really fast and they never land. And, yeah. You know, so, you know, yeah, a lot of these things make a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So kind of a fun question. What is your favorite bird? It's a great question. I have two. Go ahead. One is a white hawk. Mm -hmm. It's a bird found in Central and South America. And why is a white hawk? What do you love about them? I think it's, I, I saw one once uh, against a kind of a, um, with the sun behind it and blue skies. And it was just like one of those moments that I was just really thankful to be interested in birds, really kind of admire the beauty of nature. Mm -hmm. And that just, I, I kind of, it's this vivid memory that's just never left yeah. my mind. Um, and then the other would be a golden winged warbler, mm -hmm. which is a bird that has seen significant declines due to habitat fragmentation and habitat loss. They breed up in, um, the Northeast, Northeastern United States. And I saw one, you know, one of the first kind of tricky birds I ever tracked down. I remember I shared this really good moment with my dad because he took me out and, and, you know, I told him, well, we got to go to this spot. And he went with me and we were able to find this bird singing. Um, but it's just an example of kind of why I try to research what I research to try to protect some of those birds for the the next generation. I love that. And so I was thinking about like the rarity and like endangered species. And so we watched Path of the Panther. Mm -hmm. And so they do a lot of camera trapping. Is that, for some reason, I was thinking that that might not be the best technique for birds since they're in the sky. Yeah, I mean, you do get some birds on camera traps, but mm -hmm. 
you this the subset of birds that you get is much smaller, right? You know, because I think about it, it's obviously quite good for mammals, right? Um, Panther, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, awesome. So, we like to close out the podcast with a word of the day, Corey. So, now is your final moment. <laughs> what would be your word? Okay, word of the day. Mm-hmm. I would say it's learning. And why learning? Because I think a lot of what we talked about, you know, especially within the citizen science backdrop, it's just it's it's just an opportunity to continue learning. Right. Um, you know, that's that's we talked about going on Wikipedia and, and you know clicking on the organism, right? That's part of the main reason I use iNaturalist is is to continue learning and to learn more about the natural environment that yeah. we share, you know, our lives with. Continue to learn. Yeah. Because I think really the the reality, because we talked about a climate change and things like that, is like the only way to fix the problem is to learn the problems. And yeah. you can find the solution to it. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, and it's at different levels, right? So researchers continue to learn, individuals that contribute to citizen science continue to learn. I think if we all keep learning and pushing ourselves, I think, you know, we'll make for a better, more sustainable future. Absolutely. Well, Corey, thank you so much thank for coming you. on the podcast and sharing your knowledge. And um, I love that you love birding. I've never met a birder. So this is fun. Oh, man, we got to get you out of the, <laughs> out of the studio here and get you, uh, get you get a pair of binoculars in your hands. So, yeah. I've never met a birder. So I love that. And I love that you have like a real true passion and that you've been doing it your whole life and you have various, various experiences and background. So you are the real deal. Like, you know what you're talking about. So we love that. Keep the, I'll write that one down. The real deal. The real deal. And as always, there are two sponsors that we love to thank, and that's the Children's Trust and Trinity Church. And don't forget, there are three ways in which you can watch or listen to this podcast. If you like to watch, just follow us on YouTube. If you like to listen, follow us on Apple or Spotify. Remember, this is the Steam Forward Podcast. See you next week.